We were pretty turned off by what we saw the status quo to be. And we thought we could use our talents to change that. So we have just been doing our best since then. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Nikita Stanley and Alex Jason, founders of The Rebel Mama. Alex and Nikita recently wrote Get Your Shit Together, The Rebel Mama's Handbook for Financially Empowered Moms, and they're here to share why they've come to believe that empowerment for moms starts with money. Plus, they love talking about taboos, and we all know that money is a big one. Alex and Nikita are moms, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and community builders, and they're here for a good time. Now, before we get started, I want to give everyone a heads up that today's episode has some adult language. So if you're listening in the car with your littles, maybe switch to another episode until you've got some headphones. As always, stick around to the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Alex and Nikita. Or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash rebel mama for the complete show notes and to download your free healthy money mantra guide. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Alex and Nikita, welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show. Hey. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to have you on and so glad that our mutual friend, Aaron from Totem, introduced us. We got to speak together actually just last week. And I'm so curious, how did Rebel Mama come to be? It's all because of our children. (laughs) (laughs) Blame them. We owe it all to the kids. Do whatever you think is appropriate. But yes, it comes down to those guys, I guess, in the end. We were kind of party friends before. And we only hung out at night. We didn't even have each other's phone numbers, I don't think. No. And then we became pregnant within like five or six weeks of each other. And we were our only friends within the group that were having kids. So we started to really lean on each other. And those text messages started coming in all day long and in the middle of the night too, once they were born. Yeah. So I'm a writer and Alex is a photographer. And we basically just figured out a way to combine our talents in a way that could be useful for other people, in a way that could generate income for us. We were pretty turned off by what we saw the status quo to be. And we thought we could use our talents to change that. So we have just been doing our best since then. (laughs) Yeah, we started with a blog and it was so well received. We were kind of putting out our truths. It was very raw and unfiltered. And mind you, this was 2014. So now raw and unfiltered is like a standard more than it was back then. But yeah, we built, we kind of built it off that. So what kind of things were you guys writing about in 2014? Whatever we were living through in the truest, rawest form, postpartum hair loss, whatever. I can't even remember now. How to not kill your partner. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Postpartum hair loss. What the hell is cluster feeding and why is this happening to me? Breastfeeding. Pure torture, by the way, cluster feeding. (laughs) Everything that nobody told us about, we were like, fuck it, we're telling everybody. Yeah. Like women need this. They need to know this. What is this? oh, don't worry, it's beautiful. Like, why are we patronizing women and mothers? If there's anything that you deserve to be properly prepared for, it's this shit. Yeah, and it was downplayed a lot. It was like, oh, it's kind of hard, but you'll get through it and it gets easier. And we kind of landed on the scene. It's like, bullshit, it doesn't get easier. You get better, (laughs) you know? (laughs) 
Yeah, it's like the terrible twos into the three nagers into like, it's like, yeah, okay, this just does it get easier. It never ends. You just get better and you figure out ways to parent better and, and you become a different and stronger person. And that's what really changes. But parenthood, I mean, talk to anyone with an 18 year old, it doesn't get easier. <laughs> and there's just so many weird taboos that come along with motherhood. And, you know, I know we're going to start getting into talking about money, but money is such a big one. But there are so many others. There's, you know, sex and cannabis. And there's all these things that moms are just kind of like kept out of these conversations that really can affect our lives in a lot of different ways. So we just try to broach those conversations and make them easy for people to have and make people feel more comfortable talking about that stuff. Because as far as we can tell, that's just been hindering women and moms potential. So we're just trying to get rid of the barriers. Absolutely. And I know that maternity leave in Canada looks very different than it does here. And so did you guys start this business on maternity leave? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We were on mat leave. We had little babies hanging off our tits, basically. And we were writing, we were strategizing, we were thinking, how can we build this business? We were working on nap times. We actually ended up scheduling our kids were pretty much on the same nap time so that we could work together. Yeah, but the parental leave structure here definitely helped us start our business. And it's definitely something that gets young moms into entrepreneurial businesses here. It's nice, these safety nets, because you know, you have this cushion, and it gives you a, you know, really strongly outlined time period of how you can kind of use that to bridge a gap between what you're doing now and what you're going to do next. So we didn't do anything for six months. For six months, I had zero creativity, zero drive, nada. But we get a year here of paid parental leave. So for the latter six months of that leave, we really plugged in and figured out a way to do it. And what was that decision like as mat leave started to end of whether or not you were going to go back to your jobs, right? New businesses take a long time to get stable. So what was that decision process for both of you? Yeah, I mean, Nikita was in retail. I was um, doing like social media promotion, like in the nightlife industry and hospitality. And it sort of came down to, do we want to spend our time there or do we want to spend building this? And we figured out ways to make small amounts of money and to kind of get by. Our partners were kind of supporting the brunt of it at the beginning, but they had obviously <laughs> high hopes for us. But yeah, we had to make that decision because it comes down to what do you want to do with your time? Now you have a baby, so your time becomes extremely valuable. How do you want to spend it? How flexible do you want it to be? And I think that's what we were looking for, that if we needed to be home with the kids, there was no one else to answer to but each other. I also maintained my retail job part-time for the yeah, first three years of the business. I went back to it after my first parental leave finished and then promptly got knocked up again. <laughs> And so <laughs> tried to get me on the boat too. Yeah, I was like, come on, babe, let's just do it together. Two for two. Like, come on, no. we got to do this. <laughs> but then I knew that my second child would definitely be my last. I don't want more kids. But I also knew that that second parental leave year would be the last year of paid government support that I could use to kind of get this business really off the ground. And so I didn't go back after the second parental leave. I, we like really, really plugged in then and made sure, you know, created a business plan and made sure that we were going to make the money that we needed to make to make ends meet for a little while until we could hopefully blow it up. 
but yeah, I definitely maintained part-time employment just to make sure we had that cushion because the money was not consistent at the beginning at all. No. We said a lot of no's <laughs> to people too. It never is. No. Yeah, but we were so committed to it. We treated it like a full-time job. We worked our asses off and we built plans and we pushed and we were very ambitious about it. And I think there's something to be said for that drive and something to be said for like not really letting anybody stand in your way and just like go get your goal, make it happen. Yeah. Absolutely. So what was in that initial business plan? Like what were your ways to monetize this early blog? The first book was in there. Yeah, we knew we wanted to write a book. We crowdfunded that actually. We raised $30,000 on Kickstarter enough to cover childcare for six months so that we could actually take the time to do this. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was literally to cover childcare. That's a great idea to like cover childcare. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we should send you the Kickstarter. I think it's still I think the page it's is still, still around. Yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube, I think. Yeah. So we did it that way. We knew how much money we would need to survive. And then we thought, okay, well, then we'll be able to live on book sales. And then we added some merch to that as well. So we had a line of clothing that we did. That kept us afloat too. And that was all while we built enough of a following that we could charge clients for sponsored things. And because of our background in events, we also, before COVID, did a lot of events. We hosted a lot of corporate things, mom meetups, all sorts of stuff but that we're able to be sponsored too. So yeah, the initial book and the initial merch was kind of what bridged us before we could start making money just from sponsorship deals. Yeah. And that community we built too, because we were building a, like we were trying hard to build the following organically on Instagram, which is not easy. And it takes forever if you're not buying your likes and buying your followers. But we were simultaneously also building our private community on Facebook, which is up to like 9,000 moms now, which we monitor heavily and making sure it's, it's always vetted. But that, community is the one that supported us on Kickstarter that supported our jerseys that like really got behind the Rebel Mama brand. And honestly, without that, I don't know where we'd be. And that's what was gonna be my question. $30,000 in your first Kickstarter is a huge achievement. Yeah, it's all them. Like our friends, our family, our community is like they stepped up. And so what was the pitch for the first Kickstarter? What was the first book? The Handbook for Cool Moms. I don't have it on me right now. I only have the other one. I know. I'm wondering if I have it in my stack of books here. No, I think it's outside of the room. But yeah, we self-published our first book, which was The Rebel Mama's Handbook for Cool Moms. And so we were raising the funds to not only pay for childcare, but also to, because when you self-publish, you are the one that's paying out of pocket to do that. And we just had this idea that, you know, what if the internet goes away and all of these resources that we've put out go with it? Like, we need something that's like a physical something that can be handed down and passed around. And we wanted it to feel kind of like an, like some underground literature that, you know, maybe was illicit and you shouldn't be reading. We wanted it to have that kind of a feeling. And so we pulled all of that into the branding and the Kickstarter concept. And we just did what we're good at, which is promoting. And we just promoted the shit out of it. And people were happy to support, you know, sometimes it was 20 bucks, sometimes it was 100, sometimes because we'd helped people along the way until that point. So they wanted to do something for us to kind of show the support that we showed them from the beginning. So it was kind of a really beautiful little symbiotic relationship. 
And I think the offering was good too, because it was a book on early motherhood and it was all the things the other baby books don't talk about because we kind of, when we went to the bookstore and we were pregnant, we didn't want to read the encyclopedias and like the what to expect and all of that stuff. We wanted the, a girlfriend's guide. Like what would your friend tell you, your best friend on the couch, if she was telling you all the things you need to prep for? So that's kind of what the feeling and the tone of it is. And, you know, we've had great success with it and, and moms pass it on to each other and they buy it for new moms. And like, that's the whole point to feel like you're in it together and you're supported. That's awesome. What's an example of something that was in that book? That wasn't in the other baby books. Letter heal. That was a good one. Yeah, we we wrote a letter to the people supporting moms on her behalf, pleading for them to just let her heal and do what it takes to make that happen. Yeah, we did a little letter to dads in there too. Even filling it with illustrations and funny anecdotes and stuff like that. The big great formula debate. Like, why are people fighting about not giving their kids formula or giving their kids formula? Like, it's a your fed is best. That's all that matters next, right? Potty training. Don't yeah. worry. They'll like shit in the toilet and eat pizza next, right? Yeah. It's just sort of, <laughs> it's like a straightforward guide. Yeah. An attempt to get moms out of their heads and off of Google and just be like, trust your gut, trust your mom friends. We're going to give you all the details we can in this book. We did a whole chart of like how your boobs change from the second yeah. you get pregnant to like two years in. Just stuff that we weren't prepared for that caught us off guard. We hate being caught off guard, first of all. Yes. And we assume that other mothers also don't appreciate being caught off guard. So we just wanted to lay it all out on the table. Like you got a hospital bag packing checklist. You got, you know. The shit you don't need, the registry. The registry, exactly. A lot of like mindful consumerism stuff we started to introduce in that first book because we just were like, oh my God, all these companies are just taking advantage of the insecurity of moms and selling them all the shit that they don't need. It irked us from the beginning. We didn't even know where the annoyance came from until we wrote the second book. Which was, for those who don't know. Which was the fucking patriarchy actually is the problem. (laughs) And we are made to feel like we need all these things to be complete And it's just a consumer trap. And it's a trap that is not set for dads. It's a trap that is set for moms. And it's bullshit. And we hate it. Yeah, it's terrible. Like all these things that you need, like an $800 car seat, because it's more safe than the, you know, $100 one at Walmart, like they all go through the same safety regulations. They're all safe. You don't need to buy the most expensive things. So but when you're having your first baby, and you're a new mom, you want the absolute best. And you're so vulnerable in that position, because they really do prey on you. Absolutely. There's so much and then that clutter just causes more stress yeah. in your life as well, right? Not only financial stress because you spent so much money, but now your house is just filled with crap. Yeah. And you're not quite sure what to do with it. And the late night Googling, I love the concept of the book. I had a great mentor at my old job who <laughs> pulled me aside. I was having my first kid was a boy. And she's like, listen, <laughs> middle of the night, I was completely sleep deprived. My kid had, she, her kid had massive acid reflux and so like never slept. So she's like, I'm changing him in the middle of the night. And he pees while I'm trying to change him into his own mouth. Okay? Oh my so God, that happened just, to me. And she's like, so I freak out and I'm Googling and I'm like, do I need to take him to the doctor? And she's like, okay, I can't be the only one this has ever happened to. Like, I mean, she's like, so in those moments, just remember, like, they're going to be fine. They're going to survive. And it was, we were cracking up in the office telling the story, but it was so helpful for her to be like, 
these are going to happen. You're going to have moments where you're like freaked out. You need to hear that. And that's why we have the group, right? Because like just yesterday, some mom asked in the group and she was like, oh my God, my kid hasn't eaten anything for the last few days. I'm like, it's a phase. Don't worry. My kids survived on yogurt for a week one time. When they grow, they do fucked up shit and they don't eat sometimes, but they'll never go hungry, right? So you kind of have to be there for each other and talk about those things. Otherwise, everybody's losing it. And for the record, my baby boy also peed in his face. And the first thing I did was take a picture and then I cleaned it. (laughs) Something for the wedding slideshow. You know, for later. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So you guys did this work, really work trying to empower moms for over six years. And then you realized that money hadn't played a part in it. So how did you realize that money was so important to empowerment? I think in the preface of the book, we make a note of the fact that for the first few years, your only focus is keeping that kid alive. And whatever it takes to do that is what you're going to do. And you like lose sight of everything outside of those narrow blinders that you have on. And then your kids go to school, which is what happened to us, our Kids went to school and we were like, oh my God, there's like a whole world outside of this and money's running the show. And what is the correlation between the position moms are in societally and their relationship with money? And we really started to think about it. And women in general. And women in general, um, moms specifically, of course, because our whole business is focused on empowering moms. And we really, really started to think about it more. And we forged a partnership with Wealth Simple. Back in the good old days, we did some in-person events with them to try to broach this conversation. Because what we were finding was anytime we tried to have this conversation, people were kind of like stepping no, away. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly back away. Yes. And we were like, no, 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 come, please. We need to have this conversation. Like, how can we not fully bait and switch, but like, how can we lure people gently into this conversation and make it something that is normalized and something that is maybe even fun? And so that kind of got us thinking and that got us on the path of this book and what it would look like and how it would read and all these things. Cause we were like, we need to make this engaging. We need to like, no, we're not finance experts but the finance experts can't write in this engaging way that gets people motivated and involved. So what can we do with our talents and our community to bridge that gap and make sure that that conversation can happen? So it all sprung from there. And what was both of your money relationships like as you went into writing this book, right? I think that people, when they're new to talking about money, they start to uncover their own mindset issues, their own hangups, it's a process to go through and kind of heal that. And so coming into it, what was your financial situation, your money mindset? I mean, I didn't talk that much about it with any of my friends. It's funny because my husband always talks with his friends about money and strategy and they compare their businesses and and things like that. I never did. So I did definitely notice that about myself as we were doing the research for this and putting our thoughts together. I was like, this is something that I want to do more of is have those conversations with my friends And like, let's bring each other up. He was more in charge of our finances from the get go. So any money I had, we had a joint account, I just like put it in there. And I didn't really worry about it. I knew things would get paid. And you know, we paid our nanny or we paid childcare, like I knew what was there, but it wasn't really managing it. And now I feel like I have more control over it. Because 
I'm more involved. And to my surprise, he loves it too. Like he loves that I got involved. He loved doing the budgeting together and he wants me to be. So that's great. (laughs) Yeah. I think that the business was really the most empowering thing because I mean, I was 25 when I got pregnant. I was pretty fresh out of university. I'd just gotten an English lit specialty degree from the University of Toronto and promptly went right into selling really high-end clothes to really wealthy people. Because I was like, no, fashion is my passion. I'm not like, whatever, I'm going to pursue this first. So creating a career path and designing a business model together with Alex to suit that, figuring out how to create budgets and plan and all those things, like the business really, really taught me that. I'm like still trying to marry that with my home finances. Definitely conversations have flowed much more easily now because I truly didn't know what the hell I was talking about before. So I just didn't feel comfortable engaging in that conversation because I was like, I don't even know what a freaking RSP means. Like, I don't have any place in yeah, this conversation. Yeah, like, oh, who cares? Like, it didn't seem appealing. Yeah, but then from the business side of it, which was the really practical side, it kind of gave me the confidence to broach those conversations more. And then after doing the research for the book and actually figuring out what every one of these terms truly means and putting it into action, it's changed the game for me completely. Because now I feel like I have a leg to stand on, you know? Well, now you just have more knowledge and more empowerment. And I think to Nikita's point with our business, like we were the ones that were accountable for all of the things in our business. There wasn't anybody else. So we had to answer to our accountant. We had to know what we were paying out. So no one was helping us with that. And that really helped us take the responsibility too. Yeah. And it's interesting to use that word. We talk about like the five core root issues that with money, with people's fears with money. Responsibility is one of them. It's very, very common for women to have this concept that there's like some Prince Charming who's supposed to come and manage it for you. <laughs> like, I mean, that's nice if somebody wants to do that. <laughs> <laughs> But it leads to massive avoidance, right? Because even when that person isn't there, we want there to be someone there. And so we stick our head in the sand. We don't open the bills. We don't look at our at our budget. And it leads us in a net negative position. So my audience is obviously comes to me to talk about money. We can't have a business called Smart Money Mamas without them realizing that I'm going to talk to them about money. But you guys had not been talking about money for several years. And then you released this book. You kind of made this pivot. What was your audience's reaction to having an open and honest conversation about money? They loved it. And I think the timing was right. Like, it's just, it's high time we have this conversation more and more people are having this conversation in this space. And then actually, to be honest, like, I mean, we wrote this book in the pandemic, like we signed on to write this book at the tail end of 2019. And then really got into it in 2020. And then the pandemic hit and quarantine and all of this stuff. But it really brought up all the issues right up to the forefront. And it really made people face their finance at home and at work honestly and transparently you know child care came up to the forefront like all these other societal issues came up so it couldn't be a better time right now it just worked out that way yeah and we started to leak it like when we knew that this was something that we wanted to focus on we know our community pretty well and we know kind of how to present information in a way that's engaging So, you know, we slowly, we work with Wellsimple, we syndicate some of their content that we find really interesting that we think is going to pertain to our audience. So if you go onto our website, therebelmama.com and click under the money tab, there is 
a lot of stuff there that people can leaf through and we try to only pull really pertinent stuff. So we got them used to the conversation a little bit before the launch. Plus we were doing the events and stuff before, so it didn't really come out of nowhere. And those were going really well until the world went to hell in a (laughs) handbasket. But yeah, they weren't surprised at all when we put it out. I think that everybody was kind of feeling that way. There's a lot of empowerment talk and not a lot of empowerment action. And I think that people respected that we kind of identified that gap and are making an attempt to fill it. Yeah, and I think they were ready to, like, even the event we did with Wealth Simple, like, it was a packed room, it was all women. They had so many questions about investing, about real estate, about saving, like, they were ready for it, and they really wanted to jump in. So that's great to see, and it's such a great motivator for us. Yeah. What's one of the most common questions you guys get when you start this conversation with your audience? That's a good question. I think most people are anxious and scared to approach it. And I think what we offer is kind of like a straightforward way of presenting the information and taking the fear out. So even just our tone and the way we write things, is just like a simple way of a girlfriend telling you. And then once you start doing the things and realizing, then it's not so overwhelming. Yeah. I don't know if I can pinpoint a specific question. I mean, where do I even begin? Yeah, they're really just, they don't even know. <laughs> common question at the beginning, and that kind of dictated how we laid the book out. We're very organized people, and our strength is in like organizing our thoughts. So we were able to use that to kind of say, okay, here's what we consider to be like a playbook. First, you need to do this, then you need to do this, and then you need to do this, and then this, this, this comes in, and you're good. So People just were having such a hard time not jumping because right into the whole thing. Yeah, like yeah. you, as your what you so do daunting. is such an important piece of it is the mindset piece, and we have like three pages dedicated to that in our book. But it's right at the beginning, like it that does that <laughs> is the first step is get your mind yes. right, and then you can start looking at okay, what can I do to plan to have kids? Okay, if I get all this stuff out of the way, how am I going to earn money while I'm doing that? And then once I figure out how I'm going to earn money, then I can figure out how I'm going to budget and then I'm going to figure out how to save. And then once I've done that, then I can figure out investments. Like nobody had ever explained it to us in broken it down like that, terms yeah. like that. So when the question kept coming up of like, well, I don't even know where the hell to start. We were like, we need to just break it down in this way because that would answer that question. Even like simple things like wills and life insurance and like the things that everybody kind of like has to do. A lot of people weren't doing them because it just sounds so huge and such an undertaking. That's the other thing is we broke it down like you need to do this. Here's why. Here's the easy ways to do it. Here's what you can expect so that you can approach it and not have that much anxiety around it. Yeah, we want to just remove the intimidation factor from every single thing that we can so that people just get involved. Well, then they can be empowered because they can feel comfortable around it. They can walk into a room just like men do and talk about money. Yeah. I say that's a big difference too. And we've talked about this in the past of men don't know anymore most of the time. They're just more confident about BSing (laughs) what they're doing. And so I think it's like removing that as well. You know, something we tell our audience all the time is like two thirds of women manage the money in their household, like the budget side, not the investing side, but the budget side. And we actually are very good at it. We're actually better investors than men. And like all this stuff that you've been told about how women are frivolous and bride with money is not actually held up in any of the data. And you have all the skills and knowledge to figure this out. It's not actually as hard as 
the whole financial institutions try to make it be because then they can charge more and it's more expensive and all those kind of things. Yes, 100%. But we do. Like, who's better than managing the whole household and everything that goes in it than moms, right? We already have those skills, like you said. So it's no doubt that we can do that too. But it seems like a men's game because they really do have that, like, pseudo confidence like and they don't know what the hell they're talking about either half the time yeah we make a point to note that in the book too that like all these male like quote-unquote male gendered jobs and roles are positioned as this like oh it's so hard you couldn't possibly do it like oh you couldn't possibly do the landscaping in the backyard like you have to stay inside and do this (laughs) no 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 all that shit is, in fact, way easier than the stuff that we're told <laughs> is true. our than responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Like, I will change all the light bulbs in the house, no problem, if you want to go and take care of the kids for three hours. Yeah. Like, same. any day of the week, I will take over the budgeting, I will take over the, all this stuff. Like, these are actually the simpler of the jobs. Tasks, yeah, absolutely. I can't believe that we've gotten that flipped for so long. How did they get away with that? It's so annoying to me. I don't know, but everybody needs to follow us so they can see Nikita with a leaf blower every fall because it's pretty epic. (laughs) (laughs) We definitely need to see that. Now, I want to talk about how moms can make smart choices about how they continue their career or not after kids. But before we do, let's take a moment to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mamas, it's almost spring cleaning time, so I want to share my favorite place to buy natural cleaning and personal care products and other household essentials. It's called Grove Collaborative. Every month, we receive an order of bamboo toilet paper, cleaning products we need to restock, the kids' toothpaste and shampoo, and more, right to our doorstep, all at competitive prices. But Grove isn't my favorite just for the convenience and their great products. Grove is a values-focused company. They're actually a B Corp, which means they have to meet standards on social and environmental impact that only provides products that have met their standards for non-toxicity, effectiveness, and sustainability. And of course, everything is cruelty-free. Plus, Grove is moving beyond plastic, an initiative that my family greatly values. Today, Grove is already plastic neutral. For every ounce of plastic they sell, they collect and recycle an ounce. The company has removed 3.7 million pounds of plastic from waterways since January 2020. Incredible. But by 2025, they'll actually be 100% plastic free. If you want to use quality household products that are good for your family and good for the earth, I highly recommend you check out Grove. You can get a free gift with your first order at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Grove today. Oh, One last thing, you can also see which products were created by women-owned businesses and businesses owned by people of color if you want to further align your purchases with your values. Ah, incredible. Head to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Grove to check it out. Okay, so one of the biggest struggles that we hear in our audience is what do we do for that earning money piece after we have kids, right? For so many people, they have kids, they get maternity leave in the US. If they get maternity leave, let's just call out again that 25% of women in the US go back to work within two weeks of having their baby. Um, It's horrifying. (laughs) But if you get maternity leave, you get towards the end of that. And there's so many women who they're not sure they want to go back. They're not sure if this is the career they want anymore. Because Our lives have changed and who we are in many instances has changed. Our priorities have changed. And so how do you walk people through their options and making that decision? Well, we started with a quiz. Um, (laughs) Like one of those old school ones. Yeah, like a Cosmo style quiz. So how do you feel about going to work 
after you have this kid is just something that we encourage people to think about maybe when they're pregnant, maybe right after they have the kid, give yourself a little bit of time so that this is not an emotional decision made right at the brink of like, I got to go back to work tomorrow. Should I just put in my resignation right now? Like, I don't know. So have that thought process and then understand what the repercussions are for every different kind of role you can get yourself into. So yeah, you can still be a boss making really good money, even if it's submit a resume to change to a workplace that has a more flexible culture. Um, You can find so much out about employers via the internet these days. So understand the company culture, try to make a lateral move if you can, if you don't think your company culture is going to support the kind of lifestyle that you envision for yourself. So that's always a first tip. But if you want to change completely and jump into a whole other way of making money, if you want to explore entrepreneurship, or maybe think about joining the gig economy and stuff like that, or go back to school, or go back to school, there are pros and cons of all of those things once you are a parent. So we make an effort to break that down as much as we can in the book so that people can actually understand that before making a drastic life decision. (laughs) Yeah, they can weigh their options a little bit and they can kind of see where they fit in. They can read through it all and be like, all right, this kind of sounds like me. Yeah. But if you go the entrepreneurship route, if you want to, you know, I want to make my own schedule, I don't want to be working for the man or whatever it is, whatever the inspiration is behind making that decision. We definitely do add, we have a couple pages of how to make sure that you are getting paid. And that was just a lot of trial and error on our behalf. Oh man, did we ever learn, right? Yes. Because just getting paid is half the battle, especially when you're dealing with big brands and corporates and like, how do you have that conversation and making sure you get your money on time, making sure you're getting paid what you're worth, all of the things, right? We played our own assistant at one point. Yeah. Dummy email address the to follow up on accounting. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's a very valuable tip because then you can go in, you can preserve the relationship that you have with the client. And then you have this like other person who is the like hard ass from the accounting department that's like, <laughs> your invoice is, uh, you know, 30 days past due, please remit payment at your earliest convenience. Like that's weird for me to go and say that to yeah. the client, but not weird for our head of accounting. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good tip. What other tips did you guys have for making sure you get paid, especially early in your entrepreneurial journey? Definitely keeping track of invoices, setting a reminder for the invoice due dates on your phone. So if you set it for 30 days, then in 30 days from that day, you set a little reminder in your phone to follow up. Doing a little reconnaissance on the companies that you're going to work with to try to find out whether or not that they're someone that's going to be legitimate or a total nightmare trying to get paid from. How do you do that? Do you talk to other people who've worked with that brand? Yeah. Pretty much. But like, we've also learned that like, sometimes with bigger corporates, it'll take really long because their process is so long. So now we know if we have to wait like 30 to 60 days that we know that when that money's coming, we have our Google sheet with with all our accounting in there. And we know when that's coming in so we can plan for it a little bit. I think like when you're starting off as an entrepreneur and there's only two of us. So we think, Hey, we put in our invoice. Like, why isn't it paid this week? Right. Because it should be so quick, but that's not necessarily how everyone works. Yeah. Basic (laughs) contracts that like hold everybody accountable. Or emails. 
Yeah, even keeping just having a paper trail. Yeah, majorly important. If somebody wants to get on a call with you to discuss money, say no thank you because a paper trail is important. Or if you do get on a call, send a follow-up email saying like, as per our discussion, this is the working agreement. I'm going to do this. You're going to pay me this. This is the day you're going to pay me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, get that on paper and out of the way as early as possible. Yeah, I mean, you have to be a little scrappy when you're an entrepreneur and you just have to maybe look over your sheets, figure out who paid really well and on time in the past and go back to those people with new ideas. You got to be a little hustler. Yeah, that's something we do too. Like uh, towards the end of every year, we kind of start planning for the next year and we're like, okay, who can we hit up? What makes sense here? Who did we work with? What can we continue? And who was happy and stuff like that? And just start pitching people. As an entrepreneur, you truly have to be proactive. Like you can't really sit there and wait for the work to come in because nobody's going to hand it to you. And you have to pitch your ideas and full programs sometimes and whole strategies. But then when you get the job, you get the job. Nobody would have handed that to you. Yeah. Take a deposit upon signing too. That too. 50% deposit before any work starts. Yeah. <laughs> Very good idea. That sounds like something you might have learned in with uh, Yes. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> so in the book, you guys talk through four different kind of options, right? The boss, the hustler, the scholar, and the stay-at-home mom. Can we talk about what each of those things is and maybe a couple of the pros and cons so people understand kind of how you guys thought through it? Sure. The boss we define as somebody who's earning more than the median amount of $65,000 a year. Somebody who's making that much can comfortably cover childcare, especially if they're partnered with somebody who's making uh, the male average amount of $60,000 a year. <laughs> Which is like $100,000. <laughs> so yeah, the boss is generally more of the corporate side, spends a lot of time outside of the home working, makes good money, can afford to cover childcare. And then the tips that we have for the boss are if you can share parental leave with your partner do it. If you can line up a nanny, do it. Because if you are in a corporate leadership position and your kid gets sick from daycare, they're staying home with you. So if you can't afford to have that as an option, then having somebody in your home who's there to care for your children is likely a better option. Delegation and stuff like that, for sure. And then of course, the cons of that are that you won't spend as much time with your kid as you would if you had a more flexible position. But that works for people too. Yeah. I mean, some people love their jobs. They love to travel. It totally depends on your lifestyle and, and what you're doing. And rid yourself of any guilt attached to that as well. Yeah. And then the next is the hustler who is making less than $65,000 a year, <laughs> um, is very likely an entrepreneur, somebody that went out on their own or found a more part-time, more flexible job. And of course, there's pros and cons with that too. Like if you are the one with the flexible time schedule, you are the one whose time is going to be taken advantage of, period. (laughs) If that's what you're signing yourself up for, know this to be true. Still try to share parental leave with your partner because they need to understand what's happening on the home front. And the only way they can do that is through experience. Make a financial plan. Yes, make a financial plan. Have my book handy. Oh, nice. Oh, look at us there. <laughs> with our counting our cash on the bed. But, you know, of course, there's pros and cons to that, too. And the con is that you're really, you're not going to be making as much money as you would be if you had stuck with something more 
traditional and fallen under the boss category and what's the effect of that and what does that do to your lifestyle and all those things. And I imagine you can be in the boss category as an entrepreneur. Sure. Your work life is going to be different, um, yes. right? You're going to have to commit to it at different hours. But still, like, if you can afford a nanny as an entrepreneur, like, cool, you should definitely do like that. The child gets the childcare aspect that always kind of comes down to that, right? Like, who's doing the childcare? And like, where's that time coming from? And it's valuable time, right? And sometimes you do have to steal it or, you know, talk to your partner about like when we were writing the second book and we were all in quarantine and everybody was home and our men were working, we were like, okay, but we're writing a book and it's like super important. And then until we sat down and said, listen, I'm going to need four hours a day to work on this, like a big chunk of time. We need to figure out our schedule so that we can rotate because otherwise, if you don't ask for it, then you're just kind of like hanging on by a string and you're doing what you can when you can, but you burn out. Yeah, but that comes down to having been the person who was flexible before. And then all of a sudden you have to be like, hey, not so flexible for the next six months. Like... (laughs) (laughs) treat this like a full time all day every day thing yeah so yeah managing expectations is such a huge part of it and keeping communication open is such a huge part of it too and that is across the board of whatever oh yeah you fall into if you're a scholar if you're going back to school like that's more than a full-time job and you need a whole army of support there and you need to be communicating your goals and what is the means like this is a means to an end what is the end here what is our what are we doing this for? What's the goal? But yeah, we would have killed for this at the beginning. We probably would have made different decisions had we had all of the options laid out in front of us. We made very emotional decisions. Well, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. No. And it was based on nothing. Like we didn't really have a mentor. We didn't know how much people were getting paid. We didn't know what we should be asking for. So we were kind of like going in blind. And that's what we wanted to do with this book is like put all our knowledge in there, all the research that we did for all the boring finance books and like package it up nicely so that a a mom can really set herself up like and have a good foundation. And through lived experience too, like as you said, yes, we learned that you need to take a 50% deposit the hard way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, because we were like, oh, we did all this fucking work and it's done now we still haven't gotten paid like it was so frustrating so then we're like from now on and we started like including lines in the email and we're like screw it you know and people are fine like if it's laid out they'll do it but they're definitely not going to do you any favors if you don't ask but we also wanted to make the stay-at-home mom its own category too because there is such a huge value to what a stay-at-home mom brings to the household. And we really wanted people to understand that and understand what that role looks like. Because the thing that we have in our brains, our little imaginative stay-at-home mom before we're actually parents, is doing a very different job to what actually happens. (laughs) Oh my God, I thought it was going to be glorious. I'm like, I'm going to watch TV all day and chill with my baby. And then I was like, I want to go to work. This sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we just wanted to make sure that people knew what that entailed so that if they make that decision, they're doing it because that's the decision that they want. They've explored what the other options are. They understand what their family budget looks like. They understand the repercussions of this, what it could do to their career moving forward. Like We wanted to give as full of a picture as we could so that these decisions could be made in a really practical way and not an emotional way. 
Yeah, and I think the stay-at-home mom one is one that often gets made in that emotional state, right? End of maternity leave comes and you don't want to go back. And so you're like, I just want to stay a stay-at-home mom. And we don't factor in what is the long-term implication of this? What happens if we get divorced? What happens if something happens to my partner, right? You have a whole section of the book on estate planning. Estate planning is also something we talk about a lot here, but you probably need more life insurance on your spouse. You need to think about disability insurance for your spouse because you guys don't have that safety net of a second income. Yeah. And you need your own life insurance because what if you croak? Yes. Your husband is then going to have to turn around and pay someone to do all of the jobs that you were doing at home to save the family that money. So it's a good practice for a stay-at-home mom, I think, to really be able to attach a value to the work that she's doing. And that's, you know, something that you can do when you get life insurance is like, how much is it going to cost my partner to pay somebody to do all of the jobs that I'm doing? That's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Too bad we're not getting paid it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? No, but even for the stay at home mom, like sometimes you're making those decisions based on that first year, right? But like, what happens when your kids go back to school, right? That's five years in now or four years in. So are you still staying at home? Now? Do you want to reenter the workforce? Like, what does that look like? Or do you want to go back to school at that point? Do you become a scholar at that point in your life? And then get trained to do something else after considering what your passions and goals are now? There are so many options available. And it is so overwhelming that like, we really hope we were able to kind of help people make that decision. Yeah. And we like we packed it into a book that literally you can read over two days. Like, it's very digestible. There's a lot of point form, there's a lot of charts, and it's very easy to get through. We didn't want to create any more (laughs) stress and literature. The book is fantastic. And so as we start to wrap up here, I would love to hear what both of your kind of key takeaway was as you went through this process, as you learned about your own finances, what was the biggest revelation that you both had? Mine was that I need my own finances in order. I am not married. We own property together, my partner and I. We're good partners. We're good co-parents. But like, we don't have that contract on paper where we're like, this is all of our stuff. No, we like, we still don't have that. So it's important for me to set up my own stuff. And I did. And that was such a huge, like, I feel like a whole new person now because I have my own life insurance. I have my own will. I have my own savings account that like I'm working to get three months salary into before I start opening investment accounts. You know, my partners had all that stuff forever, but I never had any money. I was just kind of making enough to make ends meet and make sure that my needs were being met and that I was never like one thing I will never do is ask some ask my partner for money. I just can't deal with the idea of that. I need my own for better or for worse. I'm sure that there are pros and cons to that. But yeah, figuring out how to do everything myself, I thought was going to be daunting and stressful, but it has actually been joyful and empowering. So that has been my major takeaway from this whole process. I love it. Alex? Yeah, for me, it was more about we had those things in place earlier because of the type of business that my husband's in. He set up wills and life insurance and all those kinds of things. So for me, it was more about getting comfortable talking about it, thinking about it and including money as like a daily part of my life and not shying away from it so much because I kind of excluded it before. And it was just like the thing I didn't want to think about. 
And now it's just like a very regular topic, like everything else. It doesn't scare me at all anymore, which feels fucking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. All right, Alex and Nikita, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you guys ready? Hilarious. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like some being on Ellen. What is one thing you wish people told you about before you had kids? Oh, God, so many things. (laughs) (laughs) Like, really, I mean, we did have one friend that did tell us the truth. And it was she literally said, like, hang your dignity at the door. That's it. It's going to be gross. When you go through labor, it's like, it's gross. It's hard. It's painful. It's scary. And like, she told us all of the things. But I wish more people said that. Because everybody else kind of made it seem like it was not a big deal. Yeah, I wish somebody had told me that it's almost that I wish that they told me something differently, not that they would tell me something at all. Like I just kept hearing about how rewarding parenting would be. And like, I guess it's starting to become rewarding now. And my kids are four and six. But that's a really long wait period. (laughs) That's a lot of nothing for a really long time of yes, when my kids started to repeat thank you and things like that, that I had been saying to them for all their nonverbal years. And then they became verbal and they started to be that's like, rewarding. Yeah, fine. Okay. But that's yeah. one fucking thing in yeah, like totally. three years, right? So <laughs> well, because they're so dependent on you at the beginning, you're doing everything and getting nothing in return, basically. Yeah. So I'm the rewarding the it's so rewarding piece of it, I think needs further explanation. <laughs> Later, it's rewarding later. <laughs> and like footnotes, like <laughs> someday <laughs> it will be rewarding. Oh my goodness. All right, ladies, where can people follow up with you, buy your book uh, and see more of what you do? Uh, you can find us at The Rebel Mama on social media. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at The Rebel Mama. You can buy our book or both of our books. The first one is The Rebel Mama's Handbook for Cool Moms. The second one is Get Your Shit Together, The Rebel Mama's Handbook for Financially Empowered Moms. And they are both available anywhere books are sold for download anywhere you can download books, audiobooks, ebooks, all of the above. And then you can find our website, therebelmama.com. Awesome, mamas. We will have links to all of that in the show notes. Alex and Nikita, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Thank Thank you so much for having us. Mamas, aren't Nikita and Alex so much fun? I love the work they're doing to address all the taboos around motherhood and help more women believe in themselves, find community, and live their best lives. And I'm especially glad that they've brought that energy and focus into money, since we all know how important financial health is as we try to become our best selves and the best parents we can be. As always, I've wrapped up my three favorite takeaways from this conversation with Nikita and Alex for you to bring into your own life. First, Motherhood is hard. Find people who are honest about it. We all struggle on this journey. That is 100% universal. So find people who are willing to talk to you about the hard, who also enjoy the bright spots and the rewards and the moments, but don't make you feel bad about your hard days. You need to find your community. And if you're listening to this as an expectant mom or a new mom, seek out people who are going to tell you the truth, who are going to help you listen to your own inner voice, your own instincts about parenthood, and not who are just going to tell you what you're supposed to do or give you some ideal situation that is not how almost any of us live. Because we got to survive, mamas. You are doing amazing and you're such a good mom. 
Second, try not to make emotional decisions about work after you have a baby. Those first several months after you have a baby, it's all a haze. Our brains are a little bit broken. And then maternity leave ends, whether that's a couple of weeks or a couple of months in the U.S. or a year in Canada. And oftentimes, we're not ready to go back yet. Some people are, but try to remove some of that emotion. One of the best pieces of advice I got when I was pregnant with my first child was from a mentor who told me, do not make any major decisions in the six months after your baby is born. And I'm so glad she told me that. So think about what do you want your life to look like? Give yourself some space to reflect. Make sure you get you know a couple hours to yourself a few times to kind of come back to who you are now. You're, that's probably changed slightly, but we don't want you to get into a situation where you leave a job because you don't feel like you're ready to go back after maternity leave and end up more stuck and more struggling down the road. So think about how can you create more flexible options? What do you actually need to do if you wanna go to part-time work, if you wanna change your job? What kind of financial planning needs to happen to make that a smoother transition? We wanna reduce stress in your life, not create more of it. So try not to make hasty decisions about work. I love that Nikita and Alex pointed this out and that throughout their book, get your shit together. They had exact pros and cons and decision-making about each type of work you can do as a mom. And finally, money's core to empowerment. We talk about that all the time here on the show, but I love that after six years, Alex and Nikita narrowed in on money as a source of freedom for women, as a source of options so that we can do the things we need to do, that we can be the parents we want to be, that we can do the type of work we want to do. We need that financial freedom. And so starting there, handling your money mindset, learning to manage money in a way that works for you, that is how you start to build the life that you want. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Nikita and Alex again for coming on the show to share their story and advice. You can find links to their website, The Rebel Mama, and their book, Get Your Shit Together, at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash rebel mama. Thanks again for hanging out with me today. If you learned anything, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast, hit subscribe, and tell a friend. I appreciate you. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.